and welcome to this episode of Selling Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Erin Harris, and listeners, you're going to find this episode very valuable. My guest is Sally Ball Bios founder and CEO, Dr. Daryl Porter. Daryl and I are going to discuss not only Sally Ball's mark on the sector, but also the need for diversity and inclusion in biotech. So let's get started. Daryl, thank you for your time and welcome. Absolutely. Thank you, Erin. So, all right. You are a San Franciscan by way of Philadelphia. So you're a Penn MD, MBA alum, MBA alum. You're a Passage Bio board member, and you're a Penn School of Medicine advisor. So talk to us about your educational background and what led you to then found Cellevolve Bio. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'll add one correction. I'm an Angelino by way of Philadelphia and now a San Franciscan. So I'm uh, I'm born and raised in LA. So um, I'll give you the very brief version of my background. And uh, and thanks again, Aaron, for the opportunity uh, to join you on the podcast here. I, uh, so born and raised in LA, as I mentioned, I, I also went to UCLA undergrad And um, that's where I really first started to develop my interests of business and medicine and that intersection. And I was a neuroscience major in undergrad. And I at that point, through a number of different experiences, I really started to develop this budding interest in the business of medicine. And, And ultimately, that led me to pursue a dual degree at Penn. So uh, a joint degree with an MD from the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine and an MBA in healthcare management from Wharton. And, you know, through that program, I think it's now uh, famous at the time that was less common. uh, But now, as I think it's a, a, a fairly common dual degree that's pursued. But. You know, I got to really see from a number of different perspectives, not only on the medical side, but obviously on the the MBA side, uh, what some of the opportunities and challenges were at the interface of what most people consider a human right uh, in in healthcare, and you know the profit motive um, in a capitalist system. And so, you know, there are lots of opportunities created at that interface and there's also lots of challenges. And that's where I first started to get exposed to that. Um, I ended up joining McKinsey and Company coming out of graduate school and, uh, you know, continued to pursue that interest uh, working for largely biopharma companies, but uh, a few projects in healthcare service providers, and also medical device companies, but disproportionately, most of my time was spent in in biopharma. Um, Continued to work in that space when I left McKinsey and joined Amgen, AbbVie, and Gilead. And, you know, now I won't bore you with all those experiences, but suffice it to say, I did a variety of things, both on the corporate side, from corporate strategy, uh, and corporate development, but then also worked in commercial, uh, which is basically where I spend most of my my brain power, if you will, uh, in 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 cell evolve. So when how I started in cell therapy was really at Gilead, and at Gilead, 
with the launch of the hepatitis C products, uh, which are you know well known, uh, Savaldi and Harboni, uh, those were transformative products for the industry and for those hepatitis C patients, but also for Gilead as a company. And it had a very, very fast growth as from a revenue perspective and, and a number of employees. But if you follow that story at all, uh, these were patients that were treated and there are very few new hepatitis C infections. And so there was this you know, rocket ship, if you will, from a revenue perspective, and then a rapid decline uh, in the revenue, which presented a challenge for Gilead. And so Gilead started to look at what's next. And as part of what's next, we looked at cell and gene therapy. And that was really the beginning of my love affair with, with cell therapy as a new modality. Participated in the kite acquisition, uh, loved that experience, and really got to understand the potential impact of this new modality. And from there, I ended up joining uh, a company called Atara Bio, which is a publicly traded off-the-shelf cell therapy company. And I was the, the head of commercial, uh, the chief commercial officer for, uh, for Atara. And that was really where the idea of Cell Evolve came from. Um, I got to see, I would say two things most notably is that most of the industry and the ecosystem was applying what I would call historical lessons and paradigms to a new area. And it was became increasingly clear over time. Uh, and by the time I left, it was crystal clear to me that a lot of those historical paradigms and approaches just didn't apply uh, to cell and gene therapy. And, and I thought that disconnect represented an opportunity. And frankly, I, I thought that if there weren't companies or entrepreneurs that were addressing that disconnect, uh, ultimately, these products would struggle to reach patients. And, and that disconnect was about commercialization. And I think that now we understand, I think, as an ecosystem that commercializing cell therapies is a little different from large molecules and small molecules. But, um, I, you know, going back three to four or five years ago, that was not crystal clear uh, to the space. And that's what led me to start Syllable. Excellent. Well, thank you for that and your robust background. and what led you to start Cellevolve and connecting those disconnected dots. You were right on the money. Uh, and not only from a commercialization standpoint, there are even throughout the life cycle of a therapy, uh, still some disconnected points that rely on the way things are done with Absolutely. other therapies. So really, really glad to hear that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about starting Cellevolve Bio. Uh, which for our listeners is a development and commercialization company focused on cell therapies. Um, talk to us about your pipeline and a little bit more about what Cell Evolve brings to the sector in terms of unmet medical needs for patients. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for our pipeline, so we have one disclosed partnership and, and two undisclosed ones, but I, but I can talk at a high level. So we right now have uh, 
line of sight to 10 plus programs. And these are, are programs that are with half of them in the clinic and the other half about to enter the clinic. So at kind of the, the pre-phase one stage, and then half of them are in phase one or later. So the kind of programs that we have in our pipeline, uh, we have fortunately four different cell therapy modalities that we're looking at. So first off, we have virus-specific T-cells. We have uh, single-targeted cars. We also have multi-targeted cars, uh, so cars that are going after two or more antigens. And then we also have NK cells. And those modalities are going after what I would say are the more classic uh, disease areas for cell therapy. So uh, oncology in the broadest sense, both hematology and solid tumors, uh, but also uh, CNS conditions. And most notably on the CNS side, we are, are pursuing our lead area is a disease called progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy. Uh, that's obviously a mouthful called PML for short, uh, but that is a neurodegenerative condition that is unfortunately largely fatal um, and debilitating, if not fatal. Uh, so that's our lead indication using VSTs as, as the modality. Good, good. Okay. From a starting cell evolve standpoint, talk to our listeners about the challenges associated with starting a cell therapy company. Um, a lot of cell and gene, the podcast listeners, are from and have started new and emerging biotechs. So I'd love to know what you learned and what advice you have for our listeners who may be looking to start up a biotech or who are sort of in the throes of, you know, just having gotten started. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, so I would put it in two buckets. So there, there are challenges that are classic for any biotech startup. And then there are ones that are unique to cell and gene therapy companies. So on the more classic side, it's, you, you need, generally two ingredients. There's a saying I heard many moons ago, in order to successfully start a biotech company, you need people, money, and products or, or assets. And you gather two and then you can get the third. So you can have money or people and then get the programs, or you can have programs and money and then get the people. <laughs> so, um, or some other combination thereof. And so really the key question for us was which of the two we were going to gather first. And the approach that I took was to gather people, largely myself uh, to start and then a nucleating team uh, that we've now built and then the programs. And so we had identified some collaborators that had programs that we could in license and partner with. And then we went to find the money. And so I think that struggle, that formula, if you will, is true for any biotech startup. And, uh, and we were no exception. I think what's unique on the cell therapy side is and again, this is changing quite rapidly, but definitely when I started Cell Evolve uh, now about two years ago, this was the case. You know, cell and gene therapy is an emerging area 
and the ecosystem are at various stages of understanding this area. And so when you're presenting an idea like Cellevolve, you know, a development and commercialization company, not many people understood what I meant by commercialization. Like, well, why is that a problem, Darrell? I don't quite understand. Isn't commercialization relatively straightforward in our space? Like, why do you feel the need to start a company? And so I had to spend a lot of time um, explaining to potential investors and partners why there was a disconnect and therefore a business opportunity in Cellevolve. And so I found myself really spending probably more than typical, uh, a lot of educational time on cell therapy writ large, you know, as opposed to, you know, here's our business opportunity, our business model and our approach, et cetera, et cetera. I spend a lot more time just educating potential investors on cell therapy. Like what is cell therapy? What's the promise here? How are these products developed? How are they ultimately commercialized? And then once I laid that foundation, then I can get into why there was a business opportunity. So I think that was probably the hardest part um, in the early days of Cellevolve. And, and I think that is improving, I think, by the day, just with the wonderful explosion of interest in cell therapy. So I think we're all learning uh, about that, but that was definitely tough. Um, the one last thing I would say is that cell therapy and, and probably broader cell and gene therapy, I mean, these are very complex and rapidly changing areas. And understanding the science around these products and technologies is very difficult for someone like myself who lives in it every day and every waking hour effectively. And so you can imagine for an investor or partner that doesn't spend all of their waking hours in cell therapy, it's very hard to stay on top of it. And so I think that's that's a unique challenge, I think, for anyone in cell and gene therapy that uh, may be a little bit atypical compared to other parts of biotech. Sure. And that makes a lot of sense. And we hear that quite a bit uh, from our listeners and our readers at cell and gene. So uh, a lot of parallels to what you just explained and for the startups out there, uh, a lot of good information. So thank you. Um, now that we understand Cell Evolve's story and how it got to be where it is today, I want to talk to you about the need for diversity in both biotech leadership and the pipeline. So let's break this down a little bit. And I want to hear your thoughts on how, okay, so first of all, the sector needs to evolve in its commitment to diversity and inclusion. So. I'd love to know what has been your experience with diversity and inclusion or perhaps the lack thereof. <laughs> yeah, very fair question. And I think yours, the second half of your comment is right. I think it's the lack thereof. Um, my, my experience has just been that. I mean, I think that there has been now well chronicled that there are uh, underrepresented groups uh, in biotech 
both at every stage of our ecosystem, whether it be within companies, at junior levels, at the leadership level, boards, uh, definitely on the entrepreneur and the, the venture side. And that's underrepresented both in people of color, but also women. And that my experience has concurred uh, with that at all stages of my uh, career. And most recently with Cellevolve, the thing that has jumped out most notably for me is on the investing side. You know, we're fortunate enough to have one of our co-leads, uh, who's Marcus Whitney, uh, who, who found called Jumpstart Nova. And Marcus is an African-American and his firm is committed to funding African-American and Black entrepreneurs. And so, you know, very excited to partner with him. But that is rare. And my experience was, you know, Marcus was one of only a handful of people of color that I interacted with. And when you focus the people of color on Black investors. I mean, we're talking literally single digits. And so uh, that was for sure my experience. And I would say the same thing for women. Uh, there were very, very few women that I presented to that I had the opportunity to engage with that were even at the more junior level at venture firms, but definitely, you know, at the partner slash decision maker level, uh, very, very few women. There were more women than blacks for sure, but uh, but not represented at parity uh, for the population. And so my experience has unfortunately been, I think, reflective of what's going on in the larger ecosystem. Okay. How have you then structured Cellevolve to combat that? And how have you structured Cellevolve in its commitment to diversity and inclusion? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll tackle that question in two, two ways. So one is, you know, all companies at some stage will come up with their mission, vision, values of some sort. And, and Cellevolve has as well. But we, we've done a couple of things that are a little different uh, by design. So first off, we don't have what I would call a traditional structure of mission, vision, values. So ours is embodied in something we call our code, C-O-D-E. And, and our code effectively is a more expansive version of mission, values, and vision. And it's designed to give a lot more color and specificity to those classic things. And we stay away from what I was now become boilerplate. You know, we care about patience and integrity and, and all those things are important, obviously. But at this stage of the industry, those things really don't mean anything anymore and don't tell anyone anything uniquely about the company. And so, you know, so therefore we've taken a slightly different approach and I won't take you through the whole thing, but just to answer the specific question on diversity and inclusion, one of our statements is diversity and inclusion as norm. Mm -hmm. And what, what that means is that we embrace the diversity and uniqueness of the people that we work with as a positive differentiator. And the point of that is it's not a special initiative. There's not some, you know, 
affinity group that we formed and nothing against affinity groups, but um, it's part of the DNA of the company. And so that means from a talent perspective, both people of color and females and women, uh, we expect to have that as a normal part of our business. And so both from a board perspective, as well as a leadership perspective and the overall uh, talent pool at Sellevolve, we are aiming to have a very, very diverse group of, of executives and people. So that's, that's the most significant one. So it's really embedded in the DNA of the company from the start. The second thing that we're doing is we have an area that we're just starting since we're a small company, but it's called Change Enabled. And that's basically our way of doing things outside of our core operations that affect the community uh, at large and, and affect the community as a broad statement. But we're focusing largely on three areas at this point. One is talent. And so what can we do as CellEvolve to try and enhance and improve the diverse talent pipeline for life sciences companies? So that's number one. Uh, number two, also to affect our community that we work in and live in. Uh, and then number three, we're also looking at how it can impact you know, health equities or inequities. And, you know, that has to largely do with the diseases that we're pursuing, as well as how we execute on our clinical trials. Excellent. Uh, so I want to take a second too, to, to say that I absolutely love the code uh, by which Cellywell operates and that you've made uh, diversity and inclusion the norm. Uh, speaking as a female, sometimes I... Uh, so, for instance, on a magazine, say you say you have a you know female leader, subject matter expert, and they'll put you know female in front of her name or you know a female leader. I'm like she's she's just a leader. We can leave <laughs> out of it, right? Uh, so I love that, um, and I want to talk a little bit more about what we as an industry need to do to advocate for more African-American leaders and leaders of color in the biotech industry. So in addition to what you've just explained, because those are really thoughtful and important um, initiatives that you're doing within the four walls of your company, from an industry perspective, talk to us about some more specific actionable ways to ensure that this happens? I think that's a, a very important question. And I love the way you phrased it because, you know, there's for any challenging area, a lot of times there are what I call, you know, agreement on the problem. And then when it comes to, you know, implementing the solutions, that's where you start to get in little fluffy language and nonspecific ideas. And so I think what you're getting at, which I really appreciate, is specific actionable ideas and you know, plans that can have a meaningful impact. 
on this area. And I, I generally put it in two specific buckets, one of which I touched on. So the first off is talent and the talent pipeline. And so anything that an individual or an organization can do to you know, really incentivize, recruit, identify, support folks that are interested in the life sciences writ large at every stage of the educational process and the talent pipeline, those are things that have an impact. And, you know, and I'll use my life experience as one uh, minor example. But when I was in elementary school, I one of my teachers and her husband was an aeronautical engineer and he came and presented to the class. And that was where I first fell in love with the idea of pursuing a career in STEM. So I initially wanted to be an aeronautical engineer and mainly because I saw this person who looks like me standing in front of the room and was quite impressive and, and really struck me. And, you know, I had many other reasons why, why I ended up where I ended up. But that was one of the earliest memories I have of, you know, being positively impacted by something that I saw standing in front of me. And so, you know, so I think at every stage of the talent pipeline, having real initiatives and opportunities that can, you know, give people mentorship opportunities, summer experiences, jobs where they really get to get some experience with the life science space. And, and I mean, in every sense of our business, all the way from being a venture capitalist to, you know, a PhD or working in labs and everything uh, in between. So talent pipeline is, is one bucket uh, that is important. The second area that I would comment on, and again, I'm, I'm biased because I'm living this right now is you know, fund some of these new ventures. And, you know, there is a growing wave of black and underrepresented entrepreneurs. And, you know, what, what a powerful way to really have leadership, folks that are building businesses that are likely to have either a direct or indirect impact on uh, underrepresented groups, you know, fund some of these ventures. You know, when they present to, you know, the VC community or the financing community writ large, you know, take a take a chance on some of these entrepreneurs that, you know, you may not have historically taken a chance on a specific person for whatever reason. And, you know, I think the way to make an impact is, you know, take the extra step. Whereas you might be inclined to either pass or to be less interested in uh, an idea or a person, um, you know, push yourself to take that next step. I mean, because we know largely in the entrepreneurial space and the venture financing space, it's really a bet on the entrepreneur. I mean, obviously, the idea has to make sense. You know, you have to be bought into what they're trying to do. But the, the, the bet that the financing community is making is generally on that person. And so the step I think that many of these venture um, um, you know, executives can make is making that bet on a person that's underrepresented, whether that be a woman or a person of color. Excellent. Well, and I agree totally with from both a talent and a investment perspective. And Selengine continues to, uh, you know, 
be loud about both of those things to our readership. So uh, onward, certainly, and better days ahead. Absolutely. Uh, we've kind of formally reached the end of the episode, uh, but at the end of the each episode, as my listeners have uh, hopefully come to uh, predict that <laughs> I ask my guests the question to kind of get a better idea of who they are when they're not uh, in the office or the lab. And so for you, Darrell, my question is, so I'm not a New Year's resolution person. I kind of strive for, you know, continuous self-improvement all year long. Uh, and hopefully it works. <laughs> but we're, all, we're, all in, we're all in need of something to strive for. So what I wanted to know from you what are your achievable goals for 2022? And is that uh, personal, professional, both? Uh, whatever you want to do. Let's, let's do both. Let's do both. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, uh, well, this is, I'll do professional quickly. Um, so first and foremost, we're, we're raising our next round of financing. So, you know, job number one is to secure the next round of financing for Sellevolve. Mm -hmm. um, uh, second is we are starting, as I alluded to earlier in our discussion, we are starting our pivotal trial for PML uh, in the middle of this year. And so successfully start that study uh, with our um, uh, VSTs targeting JC virus. So that would be number two. And then three is you continue to build the leadership team consistent with what we talked about. So we're we're hiring and expanding uh, the company writ large, but definitely at the leadership level. And, you know, I I'm keen to build our team with talented and diverse leaders. And so, you know, again, people of color women, uh, and not that we're only a, a firm focused on people of color, but we want, you know, a diverse leadership team. And so I want to continue to build that. So that would be the, the professional side. On the personal side, you know, somewhat related, one is I, I want to continue to grow as a leader. And you've heard this from many of your guests, and I'm no exception here. You know, the, the journey of an entrepreneur is ever evolving. So whatever you did to be successful yesterday will not be the formula for success tomorrow. And so I seek to continue to grow and to learn and, you know, evolve with the journey as a, as a leader uh, of Cell Evolve. I seek to be a better partner um, to my fiance and a father to my children. Uh, and, and almost somewhat similar to the entrepreneurial journey, those things continue to evolve uh, <laughs> over time. And uh, so I'm, I'm continually growing and remaining humble uh, about that process. And then I think the last thing I would say, this is maybe a little bit atypical. So I'm, you know, as we opened, I'm a Californian by birth and by current uh, current resident. Uh, both Southern California, grew up in L.A., currently live in San Francisco. And, you know, there's San Francisco is a city that I think is under assault, um, I would say, more in the public domain. And there are real problems here. There's no question about it. Um, but what I what I want to do is actually try to make a difference in my local community. I haven't identified exactly what that's going to be, but I'm in the process of making that determination right now, whether it be something as simple as, you know, cleaning up 
frankly. You know, there's a number of initiatives where they you know, pick up trash on the weekends. And, and I know that sounds quite pedestrian, but, uh, but that's the level I want to try to make a difference uh, in my local community here in San Francisco. And that's where the real change happens. I'm, I think that's fantastic. Uh, you know, you do what you can on a daily basis. And if everybody did that, real change would happen. Absolutely. So I think that's wonderful. Um, all right. Well, listeners, we're at the end of our time uh, for a podcast with Cellivol Bio's Dr. Darrell Porter. Uh, Darrell, thank you so much for your time. This has been such an engaging and important conversation. And I'm so glad to have had you on as a guest on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Erin. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, listeners, thanks again. Talk soon. Talk soon.